the early works on the RCA when it came out in the 1970s, right up to maybe the last 10 years, it was seen very much as a liturgical document. So if you go to the RCIA, you're not getting a manual of how to evangelize. You're getting, here's how you celebrate the rites. So that's what people, when they open up the RCIA, that's what they see. And so it's been very much interpreted as a liturgical reality, which it is, Mm -hmm. but it's also profoundly a missionary reality. It's got a profound process, I think, and a really rich process that can help people to evangelize. It can help people understand what are we trying to do as we take people on that journey, as we walk people through that process from, I don't know anything about God, I've I've only understood Jesus Christ to be a swear word and actually being introduced to the Mm. person of Jesus, um, that initial encounter and initial conversion, and then how that conversion deepens over time to the point where somebody's ready to say, I want to, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to give my, my life and heart to him. And I want to actually reach out to others in mission myself. If you pay careful attention to what the RCIA says about each of its stages, what you end up with is a rich picture of how you evangelize people. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast. Helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. If I told you that the RCIA program had a missionary reality designed to help the church evangelize, what would you say? If you're anything like me, you would say, you're crazy. That is not my experience. But if you're a theologian, you might have a different perspective. You know, one of the things I love about our Roman Catholic faith is how deep the wells are for exploration, understanding, history, context. And every now and again, you get to speak to a theologian that gives you a taste for how deep those wells really are. Today's guest is Father Chris Ryan. Father Chris Ryan also has a PhD in theology, and he did his doctoral dissertation on RCA's ability to help evangelize young people. Can you imagine? What you're going to find in this podcast is RCI in the context of a parish that's alive in faith goes hand and glove. It's such an exciting episode. You're probably going to want to use it with your RCIA team. If you're somebody that's been a sponsor or just come through RCIA, you're going to love the rich insights. And I think together, if you're a parish on renewal who's making new disciples, evangelizing, bringing people to faith. This is going to be an episode you'll probably want to listen to again and again. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you with me today. As I mentioned, is Father Chris Ryan. Father Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Ron. Great to be with you. <laughs> we've, been, we've been wanting to have this for a while, so I'm really excited to enjoy this conversation with you. And I, I remember meeting you quite some time ago when we were in when I was in Australia, and um, and I learned that you'd done a PhD, and I thought that's interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about the topic because that's going to break open what we're going to discuss today, and I'm excited. Yeah, sure. So my PhD uh, is on 
the OCIA or the RCIA can get called both things these days in the um, as a source for youth ministry. So I was looking at uh, how we evangelize young people, and mm. I was thinking about the OCIA or the RCIA as a an inspiration or a source for that. Um, and that's really because the let's 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 call it the RCIA. The Americans call okay. it the OCIA, and they're probably technically right. But most of us, I think, around the world still call it the RCIA, the Right of okay. Christian Initiation of Adults. Sure. Um, and so that's really the church's um, model and methodology, if you like, for helping unbaptized people go through a journey to the point where they become baptized Catholics. And so what I wanted to do in, um, mm. in the thesis was to just explore how that might um, shape how we reach out to young people. So that was that was the focus of the of the research. What did you what 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 were your discoveries as you went through that, and what have you learned since you've written that that may maybe shift the way you were thinking then? That's yeah, yeah. So I first I first came across the the idea or the concept actually a long time ago. I'm a, I'm a missionary of God's love priest, and so we're a missionary congregation. And as a little uh, 19-year-old, um, a long time ago, I was given Evangelii Nunziandi, so Pope Paul VI's exhortation on evangelization in the modern world. And in that, um, he outlines in part of it a, a brief description of a process of evangelization, and that's always shaped my thinking around how we should be reaching out and evangelizing people. It's mm. always, always shaped that. Always shaped that. What I found when I dug deeper into that was that behind that were two things. One was the right of Christian initiation of adults. And the second thing um, is a document from the Second Vatican Council called the Decree on Missionary Activity or Agentes. Uh, Agentes is Latin for to the nations. And so um, that was, I, I knew that there was a process in Evangelii Nunziandi, but here was a uh, it was actually evoking a, a richer presentation. And the thing about it, I think, was that um, it surprised me a little bit because the RCIA often in our experience of parishes, and in fact, I often do this with people when I'm talking about the RCIA, if you Google RCIA and, and click images on Google, what comes up, of course, okay. is a, what comes up is a classroom. What comes up is a yeah. You know, all the pictures are of a guy or a woman presenting to a group of people sitting around in desks or in chairs gathered around in some church basement, and there's bad coffee, and these people <laughs> are being taught something, and they're looking incredibly bored. So when I found that this process of evangelization was actually in the RCIA, I was a little bit shocked because I was thinking that's not um, what my image or understanding of the RCIA had been at that stage. I I. I think, like most people, um, the perception was here's the, the RCIA is where you learn the stuff about being a Catholic. Um, mm. But there's actually so much, it's, it's actually so much richer than that. And so here's the thing. I think most people who are uh, involved in the RCIA uh, to a great degree actually haven't really understood or paid close enough attention to what it's actually about. Um, and so that was the first kind of major insight was that there's actually, it's not just a class for how you become a Catholic. And in fact, the people who formulated the RCIA, the team of people who um, created or, or redeveloped the RCIA 
uh, in the the middle of the 20th century into the, the second half of the 20th century, they explicitly said, we want to get away from classroom instruction, uh, <laughs> which is ironic, right? Because it just didn't, it hasn't worked in practice to date as much as it should have. But then the second thing, Ron, that I think is really important about it was, and that I also discovered was this document from Vatican II, Agentes to the Nations, because what you have is the same process. And when I did a, big, a bit of deeper research, some of the same people who worked on the document that um, becomes Agentes and this, and whether they were the same people who were working on the what becomes the RCIA. And these, and a number of these people were people who, you know, they were theologians on mission, but they were also very practiced um, practitioners. They were very, they were ex, these, these guys had been missionaries in places like Africa and, they, they actually understood the dynamic by, about how you actually work with somebody who has no interest in Catholic mm. faith, no, doesn't believe in Jesus, and taking them on the journey to the point where they actually say, yep, I want to follow the Lord with all of my life and heart. So mm. um, one of the things that I, I think was so helpful for me there was that if you I, – I thought, okay, well, these things, these two documents should interpret each other. These two mm. documents actually should talk to each other. Um, and I don't know if anybody's really done that too much before because when most people, if you read documents, on, if you read books about the RCIA, this is not entirely true and it's increasingly changing at the moment. There's a shift, I think, as people are revisiting the RCIA at this point in time. But the early works on the RCIA when it came out in the 1970s, right up to maybe the last 10 years, um, they, it was seen very much as a liturgical document. So if you go to the RCIA, you're not getting a manual of how to evangelize. You're getting here's here's how you here's how you celebrate the rites. So here's mm-hmm. how you accept somebody into the catechumenate, how you help somebody become a catechumen. Here's how they you do the rite of election, which is the ceremony, the liturgical rite at the cathedral at the beginning of Lent, which starts their final preparations into becoming a Catholic, and then how do you celebrate? The Easter Vigil and and baptize, confirm, and and give first Holy Communion or the Eucharist for the first time to somebody. So that's what people when they open up the RCA, that's what they see. And so it's been very much interpreted as a liturgical reality, which it is, mm-hmm. but it's also profoundly a missionary reality. It's profoundly um, it's got a profound process, I think, and a really rich process. That can help people to um, to to uh, uh, to evangelize. It can help people understand what are we trying to do as we take people on that journey, as we walk people through that process. From I don't know anything about God. I've I've only understood Jesus Christ to be a swear word, and actually being introduced to the mm-hmm. person of Jesus, um, that initial encounter, an initial conversion. And then how that conversion deepens over time to the point where somebody's ready to say, I want to, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to give my, my life and heart to him. And I want to actually reach out to others in mission myself. That the RCI has so much to, to offer us there, especially if you, as it were, overlay the, the work of, of Agentes, if you overlay what Vatican II says about mission and those same, that same process over the RCIA. And you pay careful attention to the RCIA's notes. If you pay careful attention to what the RCIA says about each of its stages, what you end up with is a rich picture of how you evangelize people. 
And we might come back to this, Ron, but let me just say one more piece about this from the point of view of the, the church's official teaching. Yeah. And that is that firstly, this is, this is normative. And I'm not sure sometimes some, some people appreciate this. I think sometimes when you, what part of what can happen, um, and, and a lot of the people on your podcast who listen to your podcast, they're, they're interested or passionate and committed to, to parish renewal. And so mm-hmm. they think what, what they start seeing happen as they start to do this is they start to see people in their church, in their parish who aren't Catholic, want to become Catholic, and they all of a sudden they think, oh, I need to know something about this RCIA. Their experience of it or their perception of it is it's the classroom where you teach people. They know that it's more, that that's much more about that coming to faith is much more than information. And they think, they think one of two things. One is, I've got to do the RCA in some way or another, or they think this process stinks and I'm going to do something different. So the first thing you've got to know is it is normative that the church, this is actually the church saying, when you have an unbaptized adult, this is the process they need to go through. Now that matters. (laughs) And then the second piece there is that in the subsequent documents of the magisterium. So when the popes since this time, since the since Paul the Sixth and Evangelion Nunciandi, through John Paul the Second and and even to Francis now, um, and, and and Pope Benedict in his own way as well, mm-hmm. all four of them, but particularly Paul the Sixth, John Paul the Second, and, and Francis, when they've written documents mm-hmm. on mission, they've all presumed this process, and what they've also said, particularly John Paul the Second and Francis. They've said this process should be the paradigm for all pastoral activity in the church. Okay. So what we're saying is that this is not just for the unbaptized, that there's something here to be learnt for those who were cradle Catholics, if you like, those who were baptized in infancy, haven't taken up the fullness of their baptism, but go through an experience of being evangelized themselves um, there's so much that we can apply, not everything. We're not going to baptize a baptized Catholic again. But what <laughs> we can do is we can say the, th- the same process and dynamic should be at work in their lives as well. And so our okay. parishes, our parishes yep. need to structure along those lines. So, so cool. So so much to break down here. That's a lot of stuff. And so a couple of things. One of them is, you know, I can't wait to hear the process and the stages because I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what they are. And so I'm looking forward to hearing that reminds me of Sherry Waddell's thresholds to becoming a missionary disciple. And that's really helpful and cool. And then I think about RCIA as a process itself, or, you know, uh, it's like, really, we're going to have one process that's going to capture all that. And it's like, can't wait to hear what your church is doing, because I know I just went through it with my wife and it was very much a classroom environment. And in fact, not only was it a classroom environment, the videos we watched were a classroom environment. (laughs) So it's like, oh, man, it's like, here's the information on how you become a Catholic and what you're supposed to believe. And it was boring is watching paint dry and it's like thank goodness it wasn't fully necessary in the sense that my wife is evangelized and loves jesus read scripture and she's all in um but my gosh it wasn't very exciting and so like and so and that's at a church that's doing pretty cool things and so what is the process what are the stages and what are you talking about okay Great. So the RCIA has four stages. Okay. Okay. Um, and so the first one is what's called the is called 
either the pre-catechumenate or evangelization. Okay? okay. So that's that's sometimes called a, the first period is sometimes what it's called or the, or the first stage. Okay. The second one is called the catechumenate. Okay. okay. The third the third stage is called um, the the time of purification and enlightenment. And I always say to people there, in the normal run of things, think about that just as Lent. Okay, what's happening okay. to the to the people preparing for baptism during Lent? Then okay. the the fourth stage is the period after somebody has been initiated, so baptized, confirmed, received the Eucharist, usually at the Easter Vigil, through to Pentecost that following year, and that's called mystagogy. Okay. That's okay. called mystagogy. So let me just walk through, having said those four steps, those four stages rather, yep. there, are, there are three then, to divide them up, there are three liturgical steps. Mm-hmm. So so there's the period of evangelization. Somebody's being initially evangelized, okay, that brings them to the point of initial conversion. That first ritual step or liturgical step is the rite of acceptance into the catechumenate. The right, the right of acceptance. So we just celebrated that not long before Christmas here in my parish. Uh, I think there were 11 people and maybe it was 12. And it's a beautiful liturgy. We get, we gather one evening and you gather outside the church, beautiful symbolism. And there's a, you gather outside the church and there's a lovely moment where you anoint the senses of the person. So the priest will anoint, um, just he'll just make the sign of the cross over each person's forehead, and then their sponsors, the people who've accompanied them on the journey to this point, they actually then go and they pretty much um, make the sign of the cross over every part of the person's body. And so it's a beautiful moment. Um, and then there's a little prayer, and then there's the profoundly symbolic action of coming into the church. Hmm. Okay, so this is the rite of acceptance and so at this point they're actually they actually are entering into the household of god they're actually a member of the church at this stage they're not a they're not a fully initiated member but once they become a catechumen through this liturgical step they actually are part of the household of god okay not a full catholic but they're part of the church then they enter into the catechumenate I'll come back to I'll come back to each of these stages but then the next step is the rite of election which you know, for, for, for the, for the people, the catechumens that came in just before Christmas, um, probably many of them won't actually be, it won't be this Easter that they're baptized. Like with the pro, the time, the timing depends on each person. Yeah. But at the, on the first Sunday of Lent, everybody in the diocese who is to be baptized is taken to, they go to the cathedral and there's the rite of election. Um, and the right of election, the, the sense here is of being called, being chosen. And so the, the catechumens here are being, they're saying, they're saying they're ready to be baptized. And the discernment of those who have been walking with them says, yeah, you are, you're ready to be initiated fully into the church. And they're welcomed by the bishop. Their names are presented to the bishop. Um, underneath that is that they're being called by the church. The bishop's obviously the, um, the head of the church in the local, in the local diocese. Um, but behind that, of course, is the call of God, that they're being chosen and called by God. They then enter into that time of pure, final purification and enlightenment, a t- final time of intense preparation through Lent. And then the, the final liturgical step is their initiation, where at the Easter Vigil, they're baptized, confirmed, and received the Eucharist for the first time. 
So that's the that's the process with its mm-hmm. its four stages and its three liturgical steps. Let me go back then and just mm-hmm. say a few things briefly about each of those stages. Mm-hmm. We go back. So we start with step one or phase one, stage one, the process of evangelization. Yeah. Okay. So so here's what often happens, right, Ron? Somebody. Um, here's, here's one way it often happens. Somebody rings up the parish office and says, I'd like to become a Catholic. And nine times out of ten, the, what the secretary is being told to do in that situation is say, oh, that's fantastic. Um, hopefully it works like this. That's fantastic. You need to join the RCIA, right? So let's yeah. presume for a second that the secretary has been prepared well enough to, to respond graciously in that moment rather than going, I don't know what to, what to do with you. But what <laughs> the first step, though, normally, though, is join, come, you want to become a Catholic, great, go to the RCIA. And in most parishes, what that then means is they go to a class where they learn something about the catechism and you know, that's broken open for them in some way and, and we're, in, we're in that classroom kind of model. That's not what the RCIA says. So when somebody rings St. Declan's, where, where I serve as pastor, as parish priest, when, they, when somebody makes that kind of contact, we say, that's fantastic. The first thing we want you to do is to experience Alpha, okay? Um, because that first stage of the RCIA, what's really essential there, there's no program, there's no um, defined thing in the RCIA about what should happen in that place. But this is where you're trying to help somebody go from I don't know about God, I don't know about Jesus, and frankly, I don't care, to the point where they've actually had an initial conversion, where they, they can actually say, I've tasted something of God's love. I'm, I'm wanting to pray. I've got some awareness of the church that there's a community of people who follow Jesus. I'm starting to say, I know I need to change my life um, and, and turn away from the things that aren't of God and embrace the life of virtue. So to go on that process, the RCIA doesn't say a huge amount about that. It says a few things, but that, that Agente says some more. It says things like what, what's going on in this stage has got to be the witness of people of people in their ordinary lives. It's got to be the witness of people who look at, at us as, as Christians and say, there's something different about those guys. What is it about them? What's this joy that they've got? Why is it that they can meet life's challenges with grace and dignity and purpose? And then when they ask some questions, so you mentioned Sherry Waddell, this is absolutely the first stages of her thresholds, mm. right? So mm-hmm. they've got, so there's, they've, they've built trust with somebody. Then that brings them to the point where they start saying, well, why are you the way you are? And those people are able to say, well, God's changed my life. I've met Jesus Christ and he's made the, he's reoriented my life. You, you can have a relationship with him too. You can know him too. What's crucial in that stage, of course, is that they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the kerygma. And again, if you just read the RCIA and you don't pay very careful attention to the little notes about this, and I, and I, and again, I think Agentes helps you understand this better, you could miss that. Some of the early commentaries on the RCIA miss this, but of course, there's no. (laughs) How come they didn't write it bigger? Like, yeah. Well, I just, I, I've, I've got to say, I just don't think people paid attention. And in, and in a Christendom world, you didn't realize it. And in yeah, the English-speaking world, the first commentators were Americans, whereas a highly religious culture back in the seventies, they just True. it was it was they just didn't see it. Fair but enough. But it's absolutely there. It's absolutely there. 
Okay. Gotcha. Uh, it's yeah. not that it's not that the church's teaching has missed it. It's that people weren't paying careful enough attention to it. Right. And because of the time in history when it was coming to light, you know, it was a different time. Things have yeah. changed a lot yeah. since the seventies. So that's yeah. all fair. Thank you for yeah. putting that in context. Yeah. So, but yeah, they do need the Krigma. and so this is why for us, you know, for us at St. Declan's, we use Alpha as as our charismatic tool, as our tool that actually introduces people to the person of Jesus, who he is, why he died on the cross the saving significance of his death and his resurrection that we that that brings us into a relationship with God that it enables us to experience his love through the gift of his holy spirit right gotcha so and that process of course there's no time frame on it it's not like you just do one alpha and somebody's ready one of the things that we're experiencing here is that we've um yeah, there are some people who come and they've they've got some basic understanding of christian faith and so alpha can Alpha can be just what they need, and one alpha can bring them into a deep initial conversion, a strong initial conversion. But for others, if they're starting further back, and we've got a, quite a large uh, uh, Mandarin-speaking population, so people who've immigrated fairly recently from China to Australia, and they they really don't know much, and so that one alpha is not enough for this. They've got to hear the kerygma multiple times. Okay, how do you deal with that? Just practically from a from an alpha perspective, as a parish. Yeah. So we're, we're we're experimenting, and and um, part of that is doing alpha again. We we do we use the Mandarin alpha with them, um, you know, so they're able to hear the gospel in their in their initial language, their language of um, that they were raised in, and that the, their first language. Um, so doing alpha more than once uh, is really important. So yep. Can I ask you? Does that mean coming like so? Let's say I'm Mandarin and I've done Alpha and and I'm coming from zero to holy cow, that was crazy. Glad I did it. Not sure what I believe. Not opposed to what I heard, but man, I'm confused, but mildly excited. I don't know. Um, would you invite me back on team or is it like, no, you need to be a participant again? We've done a little bit of both. So um, depending on the, the first the first time around, when we started um, reaching the Mandarin community, we would we didn't have a significant number of Mandarin speakers, so we brought people back as helpers on Alpha. Um, as that number has increased, um, sometimes what we've done is we've said, okay, come back and do Alpha again. And quite often they're more than happy to because Alpha Alpha you are there's so much content in Alpha. Like if you know, I don't know how many times I've done Alpha now myself, and you different bits pop out at you, and and different things hit you yeah. in a fresh way. And if that's true for me. How much more so would that be for somebody who's really hearing all of this literally right. for the first time? So, cool. so more often than not, they're pretty happy to do that, um, and quite often they're bringing their friends, which is amazing. Um, so, so this this time in the RCA, um, and it, you know, we use Alpha. Um, that's so that's what I might distinguish here between is the the process in the RCA in theory, and then the model that we're applying here because. I think that you can have you've got to you've got to be whatever you do you need to be faithful I think to the process but the model can look different in different places. So having said that you must have in in the process in the first stage you've got to have some medium for the proclamation of the gospel. Um and and the reason why a program's helpful there is if you've got multiple people obviously somebody can Walk somebody through the gospel one on one. There's no, there's, sure. and the, and the RCA doesn't envisage that you're doing necessarily, um, a whole, a whole program or something like that. But it, but you, you've got to make sure that people have a chance to hear the charisma because without that, that initial proclamation of the gospel, without that, there's no initial faith. Nobody, you can't, 
you know, the, the foundation of our faith is of being able to say, I believe in Jesus. Um, I believe that he died and rose uh, from the dead. And I believe he did that to forgive me for my sins and to bring me into a new life with him. Yeah, because the every- sacraments presuppose faith, right? The sacraments presuppose 100%. faith. Yeah. And, and so everything flows from that. Now, now here's, here's the next piece, right? So in the, in the RCIA, what, what's, what's proposed is that when somebody has begun to have that initial conversion, so they've had a, a taste of God's love for them. They, 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 they're drawn to the person of Jesus. They know that they've got a, and the, the RCA spells this out. They know these different elements. It says, you know, when they, when they can say, okay, well, I need to live a life where I'm, I'm walking away from significant sin in my life and I'm embracing the life of following. And it, it's all couched in very gentle initial language. Okay. What we've got here is a process that doesn't expect you to go from A to Z or A to Z in, um, in, <laughs> like in one hit, right? Yeah. And I think this is so important and so helpful for us in our evangelization because often, um, we, we expect people to be able to do that and nobody can. Uh, it's a journey that people go on and the RCA profoundly respects that. So you're not asking them to be able to articulate in the way that I just have as strongly yes. as I have or as clearly as I just have what it means to be a follower of Jesus or mm-hmm. all the elements that you don't, you don't, for them to enter into become a catechumen, they need to be able to say, and they'll say things like, I, you know, like that alpha thing, I, I, like something happened when they prayed for me, I experienced God, you know, or I never knew that you could, um, that God could be close to me, but, but I, I'm starting to feel that. And, and, or they might say, look, I love, and they might include in that, oh, there's something about this community that I just, I know I need to be part of, you know? So yeah. it's initial, okay? It's initial. Mm. But when they start articulating that and, and, and you're listening for that, they're ready for the catechumenate, okay? Mm. So the word catechumen, ancient word in the church, it means someone who's receiving instruction. And one of the things we should say about this whole RCIA process is it actually is an ancient process that's been reawakened. See, in a Christendom world, you don't need this process because everybody's a Catholic, everybody's a Christian anyway. But when, but, and so this is where the RCIA has incredible foresight, like that in the back in the 60s and 70s, they realized they weren't in a Christendom world anymore and you needed a process like this. And of course, that process has only accelerated in mm. the time since then. So it's incredibly prophetic, incredibly yeah. prophetic, absolutely prophetic. So they drew on this ancient process going back to the the third and fourth centuries um, of of Christianity. And they so they they called people they call people catechumens. So catechumens someone who's receiving instruction or being taught. Okay. So after this initial conversion, they become they enter it, they do that right of acceptance that I mentioned before, and they become a catechumen. Now at this point, Often enough, this is where, okay, we're back to the classroom. We're back to, um, let me walk you through the creed and, and uh, try and teach you something about how to pray. And here's what the sacraments are and so on. Here's what, here's what the RCA actually says this process should be about. It says there are four, four things. Four I'm things. writing them down. Every time right. my head goes down, I'm writing. <laughs> here are the four, here are the four things, right? So what's this, okay. pro, what, what's this time of the catechumenate? A time we should say of indeterminate length. It doesn't, the, the American bishops have mandated that it shouldn't be any shorter than a year. Um, but it actually in the, in the RCIA or the OCIA, it's indeter- an indeterminate length. Okay. So, but the, the idea is that we're not talking about a short time. 
Okay, we're not talking about a brief time. So mm-hmm. those four things are that the catechumens should be experiencing the life of the community, the life mm. of the parish. They should be experiencing the prayer of the community, with one exception, that they shouldn't be there for the liturgy of the Eucharist. So they can come to the first half of Mass, the liturgy of the Word, but then they should be they should leave for the liturgy of the Eucharist. Okay. Okay. Why? But there, why? Why is that? Yeah. It, that's yeah. So the ancient it, it harks back to the ancient practice of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in the early in the early church, to start with, they think probably what it was was that you could come, you could hear the liturgy of the word. But you weren't you weren't ready to be inducted into the deep mysteries, meaning the Eucharist. You weren't ready to experience that yet, and so it was it was kind of um, premature to do that, and and so you weren't ready to be able to enter into that. Now, obviously, our experience is different. That many of the people who become catechumens at St. Declan's have been coming to Mass for some time, yeah, before experiencing it. So that's a little bit different. Okay, okay, but in the early church. They, they actually, they, they had, to, they were absolutely, they had to leave as catechumens. They were dismissed from that point. Part of it also could have been too that the, in the early church, a persecuted church, they're worried about people coming under false pretenses to rat them out, to denounce them. And so they say, look, you can hear this much. You can hear us teach, but then you can't, you can't know what comes next. Hmm. Why have we kept that today? I think there's actually, I mean, a, I think that the people who formulated the RCIA, I think that part of what they were saying was, this is actually profound pedagogy. Um, that if, that what you, what you want people to experience is a sense of hunger building for the Eucharist. So they, these days they've often seen it a little bit, but then once they become catechumens, we should be saying you need to, you need to go. So do um, you, do you yank them out of mass at that point in time? It's part of we, your <clears throat> process. We do. We don't, we, we cheat a little bit. Uh, in the sense that really from the moment they become a catechumen, it should look like that. We only, we do that only for the, for Lent because okay. it's mainly because it's just a little bit too hard for people to get their head around, I think. So, okay. but if you were following, if you're following it exactly right and, and so, and so on, you would actually, from the moment they become catechumens, you would, there's, they call it the right of dismissal. So just like we're all yes. dismissed at the end of mass. I remember doing that before another church, like not me doing it, but the, the, the yeah. pastor doing that. And, yeah. they, and I remember that very clearly. And can I say this about that, that moment? It, that's a profound, um, it's a profound moment of, um, witness, I think, to the rest of the church. So when, when everybody watching sees this group of people be dismissed at that moment, at the end of the, it's basically at the, um, at the after the um, the creed, they're dismissed, <laughs> right? Um, that that actually, and I always, it's a great teachable moment. I always say something about it to the rest of the congregation. Look how how much we value the Eucharist. Look how much we appreciate the Eucharist. That these people are being sent out, and think about what it's going to be like for them to receive the Eucharist for the first time. We should be like that every week. This should be. We should have that same hunger and desire for the Lord in the Eucharist. So it's a great teachable moment for the rest of the congregation. It's fascinating, is it? Because the, the Mass was meant for the fully initiated, right? Exactly. And exactly. so, you know, it's a messy season, like in my lifetime, because, you know, 
if you're a church that's on mission, probably 20 to 30 percent of the people at mass on any given Sunday aren't Catholic and, and may not have decided that they're like they're in process of trying to figure out what's this faith thing. Do I want to be involved? Do I not want to be involved? I trust these guys. I'm going to come and worship with them. And so, you know, it's it seems far messier now than ever before in, in many ways yeah. because we're so post-Christian. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think, and I think then also I'd just simply say that when you look, particularly look at the catechumen in the third and fourth centuries, it was really clearly pretty messy then too. Um, ah, so enough. for us not to, not to, cause you had people coming by the time you get to the fourth century, for example, you've got people who are coming because it's now socially advantageous to be a Christian. So you've got to right. do a whole lot of sorting that through and, and working that out. So people coming with different motivations and so on. So that's it. There's a messiness there. So. Um, let's let's um let's let's be okay with messy in all of this because oh, it, it absolutely is right. It absolutely, absolutely. Is. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. I don't have a problem yeah. with that for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so coming back to our four steps. So remember, the first yeah. one is that they're experiencing our life. Second one is they're experiencing our prayer, except for the liturgy of the Eucharist. The third one is that they're experiencing our mission. Okay. And the fourth one is that they're receiving instruction, catechesis. Now, I think in practice, this represents a couple of really important things for our parishes. The first one is what's clearly going on there is a model of learning, because it is a model of learning. They've got to learn something in this, but it's learning by first and foremost, I think, by apprenticeship and immersion. Amen. And finally, thirdly, by instruction, by teaching. And so we... As, as Catholics, we always we we jump to the teaching piece, and that's not unimportant, but it's one of four. Yeah. So the second implication of this is if our parishes don't have, and, and parishes who've begun that journey of parish renewal and trying to shift to a missionary footing, yeah. well, they've got it. They should have a life and a prayer and a mission. But Amen. for a lot of our parishes, they don't have that, and that's an, how do how do you immerse people how do you apprentice people if there isn't a sufficient life of the parish if there isn't rich experiences of prayer and if there isn't sufficient mission but if you do then what you want it's a learning by doing what you're saying there is come and yeah be hmm. part of our small group program um come and come and enjoy join in the parish activity so we had a bunch of our of those of those catechumens we had a christmas carols night well they're they're jumping in, they're serving in that situation, right? right. They're actually, yeah. you know, so they're experiencing our life. What we want them to do is, you know, the apprenticeship model says the best way for a, a, a build, a, for best way for someone to learn how to become a builder is they apprentice themselves to somebody who's a master builder, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the best way for people to become Catholics is they not just simply watch us be Catholic, but they learn to do what we're doing and they join in with us and they participate in. So the um the people at Team RCIA in the states have a they've got a book which is a great line that the book's called the parish is the curriculum. Right? Oh, you're making right. my day because I right. I feel that way. Like that's the that's the school of evangelization. That's the school of ministry. That's the school of sainthood. Yeah. Is a well functioning missionary parish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's really it's a great it's a great line. The parish is the curriculum, and so you just want them to experience. What the, the life and the mission and the prayer of the parish. So again, bring them back on alpha, profound experience of mission, right? When they, when they are, so quite often it's not unusual at all. In fact, I'd say it's the norm for people at St. Declan's 
who are on this journey as catechumens to be helping or even hosting on Alpha. Okay. Right. Quite yeah, of course. Nice. And what a rich way for them. Like if you if you want to learn and discover really deep, more deeply what it means to be a follower of Jesus, experience that from um, ex- experience that from the perspective of you're actually helping others to discover that as well. You're facilitating that that group. You're hosting a table at Alpha, right? And that's what's really important, isn't it? To go from you know guest or, or you know and not that a guest is a consumer but just a, but you go from guest to to servant right like you go like it's all about me to yeah. i'm going to make it about you and that's why that transition from guest to team is such a critical stage in 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 a pipeline isn't it yeah absolutely and for, and so for the catechumen it's rich for the catechumen it's it's a you know i, I mean i remember for my, myself you know like i i was i was raised a catholic but one of the best things that happened to me as a 16, 17-year-old as I started to experience conversion for myself was that they, people asked me to do talks and to lead small groups. And before, I was probably really ready, but it called, yes. me, it called me on and, and challenged me to go deeper in a yeah. profound way, right? So, yeah. so we sometimes, part of, here's the thing. The RCIA is saying to you, do not make these people passive receptors, don't don't just say okay. All you've got to do is feed them now more information. Oh, that's not brother. that's not going to help them to have that life transformation and to to truly be formed as a disciple of Jesus in what a the, community that they're integrated in and participating in that has right. a mission, right? Right. So here's the other piece. Every time you normally see RCIA happening, you have this little group, okay, of the the yeah. catechumens and the RCIA team, and then maybe a few of the sponsors or people who are going to be godparents, something along those lines, right? Mm -hmm. And that little group goes on a journey over this period, and it's rich, right? It's rich. Hopefully. Hopefully. So hopefully (laughs) it is. Like the small group dynamic, if it's Mm -hmm. done done with a little bit of attention, there's some good stuff around. They're sharing a little bit of their lives as well. They're praying a little bit. And so – Put it this way, it's richer than many other people's experience of the parish, of a parish that's not really alive or really being everything it could or should be. And so what happens is that they have have an experience and then when they get baptised, um, they then, oh, now you're in this big parish and good luck, go fend for yourselves, right? (laughs) Or nobody else has a great experience. Exactly right. But but if if we take what the RCIA says about the catechumenate seriously – they're not, it's not that they're just having a rich experience in this little group. They're actually embedded in, they've, they've been on alpha. They, they know if they've been on alpha two or three times, they know 30 or four more people through that process yes. quite well, you know, yeah. quite well. Yeah. The well, alpha yeah, team that right. they're on, as well as the tables that they've been part of, yep. um, they're being embedded. They might have, they might end up in a small, in a small group that isn't an RCIA group, but it's actually made up of people who have been on the journey for some time, who've been experiencing. Yeah. If they're serving in a team, you know, like there's I've got an image of one of our, um, we baptized Jair last Easter. And so she's originally from China as well. And, um, and she, before she was baptized, she was singing in the music ministry. So as a catechumen, she's got a beautiful voice. She's singing. Well, That's awesome. So of what's happening in this catechumenal period is not just we're teaching you a class, but you're experiencing the life of the parish community, the mm. life of the church. That's going to continue post-baptism. Amen. Right? So my point here is here's gold if we pay attention to it. 
if you actually read this closely and pay careful attention to it, this is rich. And this actually gives you a really well thought through, um, a really realistic practical. Like for me as a missionary, I read this and I go, this is work. This will work. This, this is actually what this works. This is actually going to help people live the life of faith after they've been initiated. Yes. Okay. So. So the two things, you know, we, we talk about all the time in the church about people going through the RCIA and where are they two or three years later? Are they yeah, still living sure. with us, right? Well, the two things that don't happen the, and the reason why we end up with that result, the first one is that we don't do the evangelization period so they don't actually hear the gospel. Right. Right? That's the first problem. The second problem then is we then also in the catechumenate, we revert to a classroom methodology and we think it's about just simply giving them information and we don't actually initiate them or draw them into the life of the life of the community, the prayer of the community, and the mission of the community. Oh. Do those two bits right, as the RCIA intends, you increase <laughs> your chances exponentially that they will continue in the life of faith past baptism. Exponentially increase the potential. Wow. It makes so much sense. And I, re I remember when we... <laughs> We're doing that because we shifted our the way we went about RCA and and Father James made you know Alpha the first part and and at first you know it's like okay take all those candidates and put them at the same table but they're all different ages and stuff it's like no integrate them in age appropriate groups they don't have to be with the same people all the time and then they're going to know that many more people they're going to know their Alpha table and when they come to that part where they're learning stuff the the the, the catechetical part they'll meet all kinds more people and so it we just tried to really be intentional about integrating them into life of the church although. I knew that's what we we're doing. I didn't know that was in keeping with RCA. Everything you've just taught me is like that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the thing. I think there's a lot of a lot of folks who are involved in parish renewal who instinctively know um, these are the things that you need to do. Yes. And I, I hope it's really comforting to know that actually that the church and it's ex the experienced practitioners and theologians of mission who developed this knew it too. Okay. Yeah. In um, in the seventies. Like, yeah, how yeah. cool is that? How yeah, cool yeah. is that? Here yeah. we are 30 years or 50 years later, and it's like they're bang on. Yep, 100%. You just, as I said, you just got to, you've got to, you've got to pay attention to what the RCA actually says. And I get that it's a, a daunting document too, uh, yeah. in lots of ways. I get that. But yeah. you've got to pay attention to it. And as I said, I think it also is a game changer if you also overlay what Agente says, because it's, it's a missionary document and it helps you to understand that much more, much more clearly. Mm -hmm. Wow, so, so good. the other, the, the final thing I'll say about the, the catechumenate period is then you still do have that fourth element of instruction. And hmm. the, the RCA doesn't give you a huge amount of directions about that, but it says, it says things like, um, uh, that they, it's, there's a, it should be drawing upon and coming out of the scriptures. And so you get often what's called a lectionary based catechesis. So sometimes in that, so, the catechumens are dismissed from mass and they go to do further reflection upon what was in the, the readings for that day. That's one way of doing that. Um, there's also, it also talks about a, a solid acquaintance with Christian teaching. So part mm -hmm. of the, the thing here is we're not saying they have to know absolutely everything about, I mean, it's a lifetime to learn and discover all the church, the church's richness and wisdom, right? Um, but they need a, a foundational understanding, a strong enough kind of understanding. And so often, then you, you look to the, like the catechism has, is structured in such a way where you walk through the creed. Okay. And so that often that's mm. a, a model. Yes. Um, 
one of the things that we've experimented with, like we've had, we've done this in different ways. Like we've had mm. the small group get together and we've had someone, you know, various people, myself and other people in the parish teach different topics mm. um, and then just have discussion. We've used um, uh, Symbolon from the Augustine Institute. Um, so a video-based presentation and we, we've, we've done it where we flip the classroom as it were, you know, so they watch the video at home and they come and talk together. Look, there. That's both those things are. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily bad or wrong, especially if those other things are there. Those other yes. things are around. What we've started experimenting with, and again, I think that and the inspiration for this for me came from the RCIA, is doing it a little bit differently. So I, I said we. Um, I think it was about. I think it was about a dozen people that we received into the catechumenate just before Christmas. What we've done is we've we've matched them up with one or two um, parishioners who are walking with them because what we've got is we've got such a diverse group of people. We've got these Mandarin speakers. They need they need people to be accompanying them who can speak Mandarin with them, who can yeah. – so what we can do with them and what we would do with somebody – like there's a, a lovely couple in the – a couple at the moment who um, are um, – you know, they grew up here in Australia. They're of Anglo-Irish descent. They're not – or probably not Irish, but they're of Anglo descent and they're – um, they need something different. They're, they're, they're reading different things and exploring different yeah. things. They need some people to accompany them, to walk with them at their pace. And so we, we might still use some of the same bits of curriculum, if you like, with them, some, some same bits of mm. teaching, but we've actually, we're making it much more tailored to each person, trusting that they're also connected in different ways in the life of prayer in the life of the community and in the mission of the community as well. Mm. We're just experimenting with that now. Um, and, and the RCIA, I think, encourages that because it talks about the fact that everybody's on their own journey in this. It's, right. not, a cook, it's not a cookie-cutter model that people do come to the catechumenate. You know, one of, the, one of our catechumens, you know, um, she's been – you know, I've, I've, I've given her um, – Theologians like and biblical scholars like N.T. Wright to read, and then there are others. There are others in that group who, you know, they're um, you know, they they've net they've you know they 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 wouldn't be they'd be a long way from being able to appreciate the nuances in that theology. But they're both sure. on the journey. So Amen. a cookie cutter model that says all you know you're all going to yeah. sit through the same thing. So so your wife, for example, she's probably in a very different place from maybe some of the other people who might have gone on the RCIA journey with her. Absolutely. And, and so the, the, the danger, of course, is you fall between the stools. You know, if you've got people who are they're really starting from a long way back and others yeah. who've been, you know, they've been walking the journey of faith for some time, they might have even come from another Christian tradition, they're in a completely mm-hmm. different position. So we yeah. think that we, we know what we want them to get through. But we, and when you've got a parish where you have missionary disciples, you can do this. Yeah, that's a because, good point. Right. But you've yeah. got and you've got people who are sufficiently formed and alive in their own faith who can be genuine, authentic witnesses. And we're not asking them to be, you know, scripture scholars. We're not asking them to be um, theologians or, or even RE t- religious education teachers. We're asking yeah. them to accompany these people on the journey of faith, to enter into a conversation with them, to and to you know look at some material together and then to reflect upon it and discuss it together. And they know mm-hmm. that, you know, if there's a question they can't answer, they can come to me. They know that there's, if there are, and we'll do some sessions, I think where I'll, it might be a Q&A where, you know, give me, give me a question or any challenge you've got, throw it to me and we'll talk about those things. 
Beautiful. So we're experimenting with that, but I think that's going to be a much better model. I love it. Well, the bottom line is it's not easy. And, and, and I know that the work that's been done at our church has been done by unbelievably generous, cool, fun people who are committed to their faith and given her. Um, and so I'm certainly grateful for all they do. Here's one question for you. And so when they come into the church, they're receiving the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of confirmation and the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is unbelievable. I know they don't need to receive the sacrament of confession because they've just been baptized. Right. But where's the teach? Like, where would that fall into to get them used? Because it's like, hey, sweet, I don't have to, you know, or whether they even know that much about it. But where does the formation for and the model and the experience of uh, that come into play? Or is that just of yeah, confession? Yes. Of con yeah. So I think um, there's probably a couple of ways that it can be done. So one of them is, I think, in the in that catechumenate period, one of the things you can you can and should do, I think, is to say, well, baptism is for the in part is for the forgiveness of sins. So to say to them, look, you know, when you are baptized, everything up until that point, you know, is in mm -hmm. your life, every sin you've committed, every every you know, grievous mistake you've made is is washed away. Right? Best it's, news it's, ever, by the way. Amazing. Like, right? like, best news ever. What? Yeah. Like yeah. best news yeah. ever. Yeah. So it's not unusual, of course, for somebody who's a sponsor or a company. I wouldn't mind being baptized as an adult, right? Like, you know, so, so, so you need to teach them that part. And then I think what logically comes up out of that is actually people going, well, what happens after baptism if I do something, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and that's where you, you absolutely do introduce okay. the whole topic. So during that phase, they would talk about it. Absolutely. What about model it and stuff? Because that's the, because it's, Confession is daunting for most people, particularly yeah. if they're coming from a different tradition. They say, yeah. you don't have to confess your sins to a man. Like, what? And, and, so, and so the other point then, I think, is that a parish that's actually really um, on the journey of renewal should be preaching on the sacrament of confession, right? Mm. So they no, don't I, have to. I, so they, they might hear something initially in the catechumenate stage, mm. but they also should hear at other points, you know, from the, from the ambo, from the, you know, at Mass on Sunday, a priest saying, Hey, it's guys, it's time to go to confession and, and let's talk about what that looks like. And you might not have, for, for some of you, you might not have been for many years. Let's, yeah. let me remind you what it looks like. And for, the, for those of you who are new, you've probably never done it before. Here's what it is, you know, and, and, and yeah. to both catechize and preach, call people to it. I think that's, that's part of it as well. Wow. So let me, let me say one final thing about the catechumenate. Please. And, th and that is that there are, um, that there are, uh, like we've talked about the three big, liturgical ritual steps yes. in the whole process. Mm -hmm. But within the catechumenate, there are also um, what they call, um, there are like services of the word. So times where, and it, the way I think about it, the way, and there's like little, a little methodology or a little structure for it that's given to us in the RCIA. Um, I see these as great moments to, to just come back to the kerygma. Um, there, you know, like it's a, it's, you, it's a passage of scripture um, often, you know, like an entrance hymn, a passage of scripture, a homily and some prayer. And that's, mm. and they're great. It's just great little evangelical kind of moments, great moments. Cause you remember, it's not like you hear the kerygma once and you're done, right? We've got it. The kerygma has got to be, um, reinforced. And these are also prayer experiences. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. so that's one thing. Then the other one is that there are what are called, and this could sound a little bit challenging, mm -hmm. minor exorcisms. Okay. So, so that, oh, that can freak some people out. Um, but simply, of course, like it, it's, you know, Catholicism 101 to say yeah. that 
as we move closer to Jesus, um, the enemy, the devil would want to be drawing us away from him. Amen. And so, and that in our, in all of our, in our lives, there are, there are ways in which the, the enemy would want to pull us away to, to take us away from, from the Lord. And so the minor exorcisms are there to actually help, you know, mm-hmm. to provide grace, like for, to be sources of grace for the catechumens to be free from the parts of their life that don't lead to, mm-hmm. don't lead to the Lord. They're beautiful. Yeah. The, the word sometimes that we might use for this is that they're liminal moments, that these moments of prayer and what you can do is you might have those, that liturgy of the word, that prayer and the minor exorcism. And also mm-hmm. it could be an anointing with oil, the anointing with the oil of catechumens. You know, when we think about, you think about at, at, um, in the lead up to Easter, in the beginning of Holy Week at the chrism, the mass of the chrism in the cathedral, there's the oil of the sick. Okay, we know what that is. Yeah. There's the oil of chrism, which will be you know, for us as baby cradle Catholics. We know that that's we at our confirmation. Um, you, um, and then there's also the oil of catechumens, which in the when a baby's baptized, they get they do that, and then three minutes later, the the baby's being baptized, right? Mm-hmm. But through for an adult going through this process, the oil of catechumens being received um, in this catechumenate period, in these prayer services, in these little liturgies. And so those three things, liturgy of the word, uh, minor exorcism and, and anointing with catechumens, that could all happen in the one, mo- in the one liturgy or in the one right. prayer service. Mm. But these moments are what we might call liminal moments. The word liminal means like a threshold, walking from, um, you know, going through a doorway. And right. so these are mo- these are moments where you're being separated from your old way of life, the way of life that the things that were embedded in sin, the things that didn't lead to life and freedom and hope and joy, um, and you're being progressively brought into, initiated, deepened in your new relationship with God. You're drawing closer to Jesus. You're experiencing him more. Mm-hmm. So to intersperse the catechumenate with these times of, of prayer, I think is really, like, again, the RCA calls us to this. It says this is what you should be doing. And, again, if we're practitioners of this, we know this. This is where you're saying if you're in you're involved in parish new, you're saying, oh, we've got to get them to the praise and worship night or we we want them to be in adoration or let's pray with them because they, we can see that they're struggling with something. The RCA gets all that. It says, yep, absolutely. And, in fact, you can actually do this as a little service of prayer, right? So, again, the ancient wisdom of the church going back to the third and fourth centuries mm-hmm. being uh, recovered in the, the late 20th century. And we know as we've, we know from our experience in parish renewal that these things are really important steps in that journey as well. My gosh, what a wonderful capsulation. Like I can just see now this video is going or this video, this podcast is going to be so helpful as a parish priest. If you're inviting people to be a part of the RCIA team and or if you're on the RCIA team and you're recruiting more people, this is a this is a. Uh, a podcast that I would want to listen to that I would want to share with people so they could get it because like you say, it goes hand in glove with the whole idea of parish renewal. It's so intuitive. Okay. Father Chris, that was the first two. Let's keep going. What's next? So the catechumens have been on this journey for some time. They've been maturing in that initial conversion. They've been deepening in that initial conversion. The sign that they're ready to move into the third stage is that that initial conversion has now got to the point where 
there's a maturity about it where they they're saying like they're not kind of like going oh I'm not sure about this or they're like I want to be baptized I am hungry for Jesus <laughs> I right um, that's the that's the moment where that initial conversion has matured to the point where their hearts are for Jesus where they understand and know enough about what we believe that they can say yes with good conscience that their lives you know that no, I mean that sufficient sin has been broken in their life and they're wanting to live the life of virtue and faith. That's when they're ready to enter into the third stage. So this is that first Sunday of Lent. They go to the bishop uh, at the rite of election and it's, it's a beautiful liturgy where they are their names are presented to the bishop and it's that deep awareness that they're called by God. Um, and and I, I'd just say quickly about that, that I know um, – I guess, you know, I've, I've served in various ways in the church where I've, I've been to the cathedral, the cathedrals around Australia many, many times and enough. I've done enough cathedral liturgies to last me a lifetime, probably. But for your catechumens, this is often the first time they've been to the cathedral. I and know. The, and it's rich, right? Like they, they're just like, they're blown away by it. It's beautiful. And 100%. it's an experience of God for them. You know, they, they, they meet the Lord in that moment as well. They right? meet the bishop oftentimes for the bishop. first time as well. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, big, it's deal. a big day. It's a big day. It's a big moment. And, and you feel the sh- there's a shift, you know, because one, one of the things that we believe as Catholics too, you know, is that, you know, so with the sacraments, the sacraments aren't just simply a sign that kind of blesses what's already happened. You're not, so when you're baptized, it's not that it's just, we're acknowledging publicly the conversion that you've had for Jesus. Your baptism is actually also affecting that conversion, right? Mm. So, and that's also true of other liturgical steps. So the rite of election is not a sacrament. Okay. We have, it's not one of the seven sacraments of the church, but what, it, what you do see is that it propels them into this final stage of preparation. Mm. So this stage is called the period of purification and enlightenment. And that tells you everything you need to know about this stage. <laughs> Purification and enlightenment. So it's a, it's a, it's a final time of intense preparation, the RCIA says, for initiation. And often, here's how it looks in practice in a parish. Oh, sugar, we haven't got, we've, we've still got the last things to cover. We haven't talked enough about the saints. And if you're trying to cram the last bits of teaching in, right? <laughs> what we've what we've been the RCIA absolutely does not say that. In fact, it doesn't talk about catechesis in this stage. Hmm. Uh, it actually envisages, I think, um, in more intense prayer. It envisages a time of um, maybe of retreat. Um, it's actually it's helping people to come to. The, here's again, this is a quote from the RCIA: a profound knowledge of Christ our Savior. Now, if they don't know Jesus by now. It's, they're not ready for this stage, but what right. we're talking about is that going even deeper. It's a it's a final phase of preparation. Hmm. The most visible elements of that stage are three scrutinies that happen on the yeah. third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent. Okay, so what happens is that um, if you've got catechumens, you read um, the Gospels of Year A because the prayers that you're going to pray with them after the homily pick up the language and imagery of those three Gospels, hmm. okay? So you've got the um, the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria at the well. You've got the man who was born blind and, oh, it's truth. I think you've got, <laughs> that's okay. I, want to say it's La- I want to say it's Lazarus, but I've got a mental blank. Okay, that's all right. But, but basically what happens is, is that the prayers you pray, so you invite the, cate- the they're now, they're no longer called catechumens, from the moment of the right of election, 
again, in keeping with ancient practice, they're now called the elect, the chosen. That's right. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So they, they come forward and you pray a prayer, this time of major exorcism. Hmm. We were doing minor exorcisms in the catechumenate. Yeah. These are rites of major exorcism. And it's not exorcism in the sense that, you know, of someone, we're not, we're, not, we're not saying somebody's possessed here, okay? But yep. we're saying that parts of their lives are still um, perhaps yeah. held by the power of sin and the devil, okay? So these prayers are prayers to purify them, okay, mm. to free them from whatever would hold them back from a wholehearted yes to Jesus, and then enlightenment to open their minds and their hearts more deeply and fully to the person of Jesus, um, and these prayers too, if they're done well, they're powerful. And one of the things that we like to do here is what you might call a moment of liturgical catechesis. So you pray these prayers, then you send them out, that dismissal, you send them out, and then you just ask them to reflect on what, they're experienced, what they've experienced. What did you right. feel? What did you notice? And, um, and what they're doing there is they're reflecting back on their experience, which is a profound way of learning and discovering something. Um, and so... So that's, that's the, that's that, um, the, the three hallmarks of this period of purification and enlightenment. Um, uh, we often try and do during Lent, we'll do something with the whole parish that's trying to, you know, deepen their prayer life or, yeah. you know, um, we just get them, we get the catechism, the elect to just join in with that. Okay. Amen. So we're not trying to do lots of other sessions with them or anything like that. We're just mm. trying to help them prepare for Easter. Mm. Then at the Easter vigil, they, you know, the, the rich, here's the thing, you know, the Easter vigil is made for baptism. It is, it is made for baptism. There's a, one of the early commentators in the RCIA says that the Easter vigil doesn't make sense without baptism. And if you think about the, all those readings, right, they, they're baptismal. They're baptismal. Okay. The theme of water flows through so many of them. And of course, the very last reading, we could spend ages talking about that and we don't have time, but the, the, it's, it's, the readings are all, they're all preparing for the baptismal liturgy. The last reading that we always read is from the letter to the Romans chapter six. You were baptized in Christ. Did you not know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into the death of Jesus so that you yeah. might rise with him to newness of life, right? So mm. it's, it's geared towards the Easter vigil is geared towards baptism. So a parish that doesn't have a baptism. Is um, it's just missing out, right? Adult baptisms, you know. So uh, um, it's just made for that. Now, you know, it doesn't always happen that that's that that's possible. But yes, if we're a missionary church, please God, we see people each year coming to to faith in Jesus. Mm. And and so at uh, after that liturgy of the word, the next the next part, you've got the first of all, you've got the liturgy of light. So you've got the everyone every, the candles, the the Easter yep. candle, and everyone with the candles. You have the liturgy of the word all oriented towards baptism, right? So that mm -hmm. Easter candle, you know, when we baptize a little baby and they get the, you get your little candle, you see this is where it really begins is you've got the Easter candle and these yeah. baptized people receiving their candle, right? So after liturgy of light, liturgy of the word, we have the liturgy of baptism or, or more accurately, the, the first two steps of their initiation. So the liturgy of mm -hmm. baptism, so they're baptized, um, they're they're they, they're confirmed, they're anointed with the oil of chrism, and then in the liturgy of the Eucharist, they'll receive communion for the first time. Now, yeah, there's so, there's, yeah, we could say so much about this rich theology. It's beautiful. Um, I mean, it's, it's my favorite night of the year. Me um, too. 
it's just uh, it's it's just rich and powerful and and, and astonishing, really, just mm. just amazing. So after that, and, and this is the, again RCIA, you know, nine nine times out of ten, probably um, that's we're done now, right? Maybe there's a party after, like you know, you <laughs> cut a cake at the end of the at the end if of the mass. Still and stay awake, yeah. If you're still <laughs> if you're still awake, everyone really pretty much wants to go home, and um, but. Uh, but you cut a cake and we're done, right? Then, and and off you are. But that's not actually what the, the that's actually not what the the RCIA says. Right. The RCIA says that there's a fourth stage, which it calls mystagogy. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's one of those ancient words. Okay. So the mm-hmm. word mystagogy, it was it was um, it goes back to that that the third and fourth centuries of Christian faith. And we know about this period from some of the amazing teaching that some of the bishops of that time gave to those who'd been baptized. And it's, it's fantastic. So the word mystagogy, it, mm-hmm. what, what, if you listen to it carefully, mister, mysteries, gogy is like a word. So it's a word about the mysteries. It's a word mm. about them. So that, the when we still say that we, we prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. That's a, the word mystery is a word for the Eucharist, right? Um, mm. or for the sacraments more generally. So mystagogy is the period of reflection upon the mysteries that they received. Now in the early church, remember, they've been sent out. They haven't, they don't know what's going on in the early church, the third and fourth centuries. Those who are being baptized. They've only got the vaguest idea of what's going to happen to them at the Easter vigil. They, they probably know that they're going to get wet. Um, mm-hmm. there's a bit of, a bit of being talk about water and, but they don't know. They don't know about, and in those days, they would have been, the baptistry was separate to the main body of the church. They would have been stripped naked, gone into the waters of baptism naked. They would have been fully immersed into the water. They would have come mm-hmm. out the other side of uh, having been baptized and they would have been coated in oil and they would have received you and they wouldn't have had like we we now prepare them and we should tell them about it in advance right but we're not, right. we can't reproduce it but what what's going on there again i think is just the most profound pedagogy the profound way of learning you have mm-hmm. the experience and then you reflect upon the experience right so the, so the period of mystagogy its first purpose is to do that let's unpack what happened to you when you were baptized, let's, um, let's like, as the oil, as you were anointed with the Holy Spirit, what was going on for you there? This is what it meant. This is what, this is what the significance of it was. And you revisit all of that and you talk about it some more to receive Jesus in the Eucharist for the first time. You've been watching people do this maybe for a couple of years now and you got to receive Jesus in the Eucharist for yourself. What was that like? You know, and that deepens the experience. You know, if you have an experience and you can talk about it and you reflect upon it, it enriches yeah. the experience. It deepens the Amen. experience. So that's the first thing that you want to do in mystagogy. Then the RCA also talks about um, that at this point, they're, they're also deepening up and through to Pentecost. They're deepening in the experience of being part of the church, being part of the faith community. Mm. I would say this, if they're not fully invested and, and deeply embedded in your community by by now, don't expect that it's going to magically happen on the day that they were baptized, right? If you've done right. the catechumenate properly, they are part, they're already there, they're de facto. In fact, they've been living the life of the community. Now they're formally part of it through their baptism, confirmation and Eucharist. Right. Um, but they but existentially, experientially, they should already have been living it for some time, right? Right. 
should already been living it for some time. Um, but you want to make sure in this period leading up to Pentecost, especially, you know, that, that talks about that they have special seats of honor in the church during that time. Um, mm-hmm. They talk about a, a special Paschal Eucharist at Pentecost that celebrates the fact that they, that this journey that they've been on. So you, I just think there's a richness and a wisdom here that helps to again, just deepen their journey to discipleship, to missionary discipleship. Okay. Hmm. So what um, does your church do for that seat? Do you guys, cause I've not, that's new to me. Like oh, I was so scared you were going to ask that cause I don't think we do this perfectly. So, um, so we, we, we try and get them together and have a chance. Like we get together for a meal and we just mm-hmm. unpack that. That's getting harder as we've got bigger numbers of people to be baptized, mm-hmm. to be honest. But we try and do that. Um, we, um, and we, we, all, and we particularly try and do something around Pentecost where we'd have a, just yeah. a, celebra- a celebration. So not on the, not on the feast itself, but, but around it, we try and do something as well. Um, cool. it doesn't have to be particularly formal, I don't think, but you mm-hmm. just want them to deepen their experience. And in Absolutely. fact, I would say, not that I've, I've given my full attention to this, but as we've shifted our model this year of how we do catech- the catechumenate, where they remember that they're now, it's much more of an accompaniment in, that's not a small group, yes. but, but like one to two or two to two kind of thing. Um, that's what we probably want to do with them, I think, is actually get them back with those people mm. and to, and to unpack their experience with those people. Um, well, well, even as you yeah. talk about that, you know, what that means, what it's meant to be, you know, as a, as a sponsor, it's like, oh, I can do that. You know what I mean? Like that would be a great conversation that I could have with the person that I bring through our C or journey through our CIA with as a sponsor. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, good yeah. to know yeah. because those would be some beautiful conversations. They, they absolutely. And that, that's, that's, and yeah, we we've, I, we've, t- it might feel like we've taken a deep dive, but we've only, in some ways, we've only scratched some of the surface here, Ron. But because we haven't <laughs> talked about sponsors at all, right? Right. But but, but here's here's again a, a way in which we can, if we're really doing this in the way the RCA intends, and and particularly in a in a missionary context of a parish that has embarked upon that journey of of missionary renewal, is that. The sponsors, like typically, you know, what I think would have happened in the past is you'd, you know, maybe it might be that somebody's becoming a Catholic because they're married to a Catholic and so they're going to ask the, their sister-in-law or somebody to, to be their sponsor or their, their mother-in-law or somebody to be their sponsor or something like that. Mm. Maybe not their mother-in-law. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, they ask somebody from that extended family and, and there's nothing wrong with that in terms of being their godparents and, you know, those, those family ties can matter and they're important. But, Sponsors and godparents aren't the same thing in the RCIA. Mm-hmm. And so you need at the, at the entry into the catechumenate back right back there at the beginning of that first step, the sponsors are there to vouch that somebody actually has had an initial conversion, right? They're there uh-huh. actually to say, you, this is real. This, this person's coming for the, with the right intention. Um, and then in the, and then in the second, second stage when they're about to become the elect when they're in the right of election at the end of the catechumenate again the sponsor steps in and it's a it's it's a ritualized thing but they're asked in the liturgy at the cathedral you know do you attest that these people are ready and the rcia says look here's the liturgical ritual but before that there's a real conversation that's happened that you're are you ready and so the sponsors play a really crucial role in in attesting to the readiness for those stages so who's the best people to, to be those sponsors? 
Well, it might often enough here here at St. Declan's, often enough the sponsors will be um, their alpha, their original alpha table host or, or one of their right. key and and how powerful that is, right? How powerful that is. Um, but but what you've got there is first of all, you've got a couple of things. You've got the parish actually really walking with and saying these people are ready, but it's not just a fiction, it's not just yeah, we're stepping through a liturgical step here. We're actually saying, no, this sponsor actually watched this person come to an initial encounter with Jesus. And this sponsor has watched that conversion deepen to the point where they really are ready for baptism. Mm. Um, it's it's different, isn't it? It's different. And again, the wisdom mm. of the RCIA, it's there. Like it's saying this this is and this is so much better than, you know, you know, um you're your, your brother-in-law who lives in a different city who you see at Christmas and at, at Easter and you don't, you don't have that, he's not there in an ongoing way to support and encourage your faith. Well, maybe he's the, he can be the godparent, mm. but the sponsors are the people who are walking with you and accompanying you on that journey. Right. As I said, so much more there. It's so awesome. much more there. It certainly is. You know, one of the things that um, I'm curious of, I'd just love to hear your perspective on this. Like I, I remember, I think it was St. Philip, uh, that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit just kept telling him where to go and what to do. And he finds himself standing beside a, uh, you know, a, what's that called? A the horse eunuch. and buggy. Yeah. 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 The eunuch. Is, yeah. What are you doing? I'm reading scripture, but I don't get it. Can you help me? Yeah, sure. I'll help you. And hey, what's stopping me from being baptized? There's some water right there. And he baptizes him. And, and I think, you know, I know that I have friends from other traditions and, you know, it's like baptism weekend and the preacher will whip everybody into a frenzy and say, who wants to be baptized? And next thing you know, you have a lineup and they're dunking people and and that's not to speak disrespectfully about their understanding of who they are and what they do but but the catholic church seems to be the complete opposite isn't it it's like yeah. no no there's going to be phases and steps and this is going to take yeah. time it's not something that that you know we're going to just welcome you and well not not that we're not going to welcome you into it. we are going to welcome you into it but the process is a lot longer yeah yeah and 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 you're right that when people want to um, want to have a much shorter process? They can point back to the Acts of the Apostles and to the story of Philip and the eunuch. The way I would, the way I'd respond to that is to say that I think, I think that the the the, the catechumenate evolved over time in the church. And when you think about who the first the first converts were, um, yeah, the first converts in the early church were Jews, and so they'd had they'd had in a sense this extensive formation. Already, um, that that had prepared them. Then, when when the time came, they heard the proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah, mm. as the you know, as the true successor to King David, who was to bring um, Israel back together and through Israel the whole world. Um, mm. They they've they've already got all that there, and so perhaps baptism can be a much more uh, it, the process can be much more. Uh, uh, it can be a much shorter process because there's been all of that in 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 preparation. The next group who are who are I think are, are reached by people like St. Paul um, typically tended to be what was sometimes called the God fearers, and so you can see these in Acts of the Apostles, and you can see it in um, in Paul's writings as well. These are people who were fellow travelers with Judaism. For one reason or another, they weren't prepared to become Jews, often enough because perhaps as men they weren't prepared to be circumcised as adult men. <laughs> but they were deeply sympathetic to Judaism and they believed in the one God in contrast to the 
to the mm. uh, Greco-Roman you know religion around them. They you know they believed in one god rather than multiple gods. They were drawn to that, and so they again they knew a fair bit. They might have had some awareness of the of the scriptures. I yes. think the Ethiopian eunuch is one of those guys. Right. I think I think he's a god fearer. Now he does, and he's the yeah. You know, it's the beautiful thing. He's like he's reading, and he says he doesn't understand the prophet Isaiah that he's reading. And Philip says, "Look, what you're really reading about is Jesus. He's the suffering. He's the suffering servant. The true suffering servant is Jesus." You know. Um, but over time, as as the church moves increasingly into the Gentile mission, a period of a, a process, mm-hmm. a period of time was seen to be necessary and important because they're starting so much further back. Yeah, and, and that's our culture, that's, like, and that's and, and there's a relevance for us today with that, isn't there? I think so. Mm-hmm. So we're 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 very much kind of going. Let's, um, and, I, and I think this is, this is hard. Like it, it's counterintuitive for us, and and there's always a, I think a pastoral judgment to be made here about um, you don't want to draw the process out so long that it's discouraging for somebody for the just for the sake of it, right? Like you don't like the right. the the RCA itself says it's a the catechumen it's a period of indeterminate length. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, it's you don't want to draw it out so long that people get discouraged. At the same time, you don't want to do it prematurely, and and the, and it hasn't actually really taken hold sufficiently in the way that it needs to have. And so mm-hmm. there's partial judgment to be made there, and and you know um, pastors and RCA, you know catechists in the RCA. That they have to make those kind of calls, you know. Yeah. Is anybody really ready for baptism? Like one of the things I, one of the examples I point back to here is to back to Cyprian of Carthage back in the third century, so back in the 200s. And Cyprian leading up to baptism, like he become, ends up being the Bishop of Carthage and a really a, a saint, a martyr, powerhouse in the life of the church in North Africa, right? A crucial figure. Leading up to ba- he's reflecting back on his baptism. He's going, oh, leading up to baptism, I was tossed and turned and I couldn't, I was, couldn't decide whether I was ready for it, and I hummed and hard, and and then I went into the waters, and I came out a new man. Right? Ooh. Is anybody really ready for baptism? Mm. Right? Is anybody really ready for baptism? And the answer to that is, you know, no. This is a grace that is undeserved and freely given. And and remember, it affects something. You know, some of our other some other Christian traditions. They see ba- their theology of baptism is different. It's it's a blessing what's already there. So if if your theology of baptism is um, is we're going to acknowledge the fact that you've given your life to Jesus, well, you can baptize people earlier because they that that's all, all it is is like I've made the prayer, I've prayed the prayer, and I want to follow Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. But for us as Catholics, and I think we see this again and again in our pastoral experience. Baptism isn't just a acknowledgement of what's already happened. It initiates something. It brings something new. Like Cyprian, I came out of the waters a new man. People testify to their baptism if they've gone through this process and they go, that was, you know, that was significant. You know, like mm-hmm. I, um, it, it wasn't, it didn't just, it wasn't just a ritual acknowledgement of the journey I've been on. I've, I'm different. I'm changed by that experience as well. Mm. Um, and so I think I think that's an important element here when we're understanding what what it is. Nobody's really f- fully ready for baptism. It's an undeserved gift and grace, but we ought to prepare people as well as we can for it, so that when we receive that baptism, or when a person receives that baptism, it's a, the grace of that baptism is able to have its free and full effect in their lives. There's nothing mm. getting in the way of that. 
you know. Mm. What advice would you have as we wrap up? What advice would you have if there's somebody listening or although boy, I'd be impressed if they got this far in the podcast if they're not a Catholic and, and, and really interested in this stuff. But but maybe there is. Maybe, like, or maybe we'll just show them this clip. Uh, you know, what advice would you have for somebody that's exploring faith, exploring becoming a Catholic and, and has been invited to go on this RCIA or OCIA journey? What would you say to them as mm. if they're just considering it? It's a great question. Can I can I can I answer it this way? Um, yeah, back in the back in the fourth century, um, there's a guy called Cyril who's the bishop of Jerusalem, and at the fourth century, of course, what's happened is Christianity has become the religion of the Roman Empire. Okay, right. And so people are fronting up for baptism, and they're saying, and and Cyril knows, and he says to them, "You're probably here because you want to please uh, a master, like you're a, you're a, you're a slave, and you want to." And, um, you want you want your master to be happy with you because he's now become a Christian, or you're wishing to court this woman or this man. Like in other words, you're interested in somebody who's a Catholic, and you know, like you know, so <laughs> that never happens, does it? Never happens. No. <laughs> so Cyril, yeah, like so we we sometimes get really anxious about all that when that when people come and you think no, you should be wanting to become a Catholic because you've met Jesus and you want to follow him, right? Cyril Cyril has this amazing line. He says, you know what? Um, you've probably come for these sorts of reasons. He says, that's just simply bait for my hook. <laughs> he says, Jesus, the master fisherman, is fishing for you. Hmm. Yeah. Jesus, the master fisherman, is fishing for you. And I say that because I think in the very first stages of conversion, when people are first coming to know, like they, when they're first hanging around, they, hmm. their motivation isn't, I've met Jesus because they haven't met Jesus yet. Um, And so I would say to people, if you are watching and you, and you're exploring quite possibly it's because you've been, um, you've been drawn by the witness of other people in one way or another, or, or maybe, you know, here in Australia and other parts of the world, you know, you want your kid to go to a Catholic school and you're told that, well, you've got to be a Catholic too, right? Like there are reasons that you can come and initially be drawn or interested, but Jesus is, the master fisherman, if you like, who is drawing you to himself. Mm. And this journey, you know, um, I'm not sure if, I, I'm not sure if I've ever met and don't think that St. Declan's is a parish where we, we pr- perfectly embody what the RCA should look like. I'm not sure if I met a parish which does it perfect, <laughs> perfectly, if you like, perf- perfectly, if yeah. you like, you know. Yeah. Um, I would say to somebody who's embarking on this journey, though, don't, don't be anxious if it falls falls short of that. Draw alongside people who you can see mm-hmm. have fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Draw alongside them. Hopefully they are your catechists, your RCIA team, your pastor, mm-hmm. but whoever they might be, draw alongside them and watch what they do. Ask to pray with them. Um, go on mission with them, whether that's serving, you know, going to a soup kitchen or whether it's jumping on an alpha team. Um hang around those people who have a joy about them that you can see comes from their relationship with God and and watch what they do and do what they do and and Jesus the master fisherman will draw you to himself amen Amen. Well, Father Chris, thank you for, thank you for, it's so fun because I was looking forward to this conversation and it 
far surpassed my expectations in terms of my own personal learnings, making sense of what it is that we're trying to do, linking it with the ancient church and the prophetic revelation in the 70s as they rediscovered this and, and brought it uh, fresh to the church and, and and the just incredible need we would have in, in our generation. But also, too, I think my favorite line of all was the parish is the curriculum. It's like a vibrant functioning church that's alive and well and bringing people to faith and living the living their uh, the mission of the church in powerful ways in love with Jesus becomes the very place that people can immerse themselves in to catch the the contagious nature of joyous people filled with the holy spirit you know and and well led and so thank you it's been a pleasure, Ron. Been really great to, to talk about something that I'm passionate about and that I think that we should all be passionate about in the in the church, especially especially as we seek to evangelize, you know, to to make disciples of all nations. Amen. Amen. And I, you know, when I think about your passions, it doesn't end there. There are so many other things I hope to get you back to talk about because uh, you're doing some exciting work on many fronts. And uh, so God bless you in the work that you do. And God bless all you guys that are listening and watching. Thank you for what you do to make your parish an unbelievable place. Thank you for taking your parish on mission. Thank you for collaborating with your pastor, pastors, with your lay people, so that together we can bring more people home to God. God bless you. And we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.